You're listening to the Credit Risk Monitor Podcast. Now here are your hosts, Mike Flum and Jerry Flum. Hello, and thank you for listening. I'm Mike Flum. You know, we're approaching kind of the midpoint of 2022, and uh, Jerry and I have been fielding some questions from various clients about some of the different scoring models that we uh, we offer. We thought it might be a good idea to spend a little bit of time really kind of categorizing the differences in these scoring models, as well as the types of regimes that they fall into, so that everybody can kind of think about how to use them more effectively when doing risk uh, analysis, as well as making decisions on counterparty. So certainly over the uh, you know, the past two years or so, two and a half years, we've seen spikes in bankruptcies, then lack of bankruptcies. And now we've seen you know mounting risk associated with the recession as interest rates are coming up. Quantitative tightening is going on internationally. And uh, you've seen kind of the you know zombies starting to get a little shaky as far as their uh, financial stability. So uh, with that kind of said, obviously, a lot of these different scoring models have different effectiveness. And uh, we'll spend a little bit of time going through each of the models and kind of what uh, we define as the difference between predictive versus descriptive risk ratings. Um, oh, actually, I guess I should start off and say, you know, again, uh, if you have any comments or questions or other topics that we should cover in future podcasts, again, we invite you to email us at podcasts at creditriskmonitor.com and uh, we'll try and dig in on any of those that come in. All right. So with that, you know, Jerry, why don't we dig in a little bit? Maybe I'll set you up as far as the definition between what we consider predictive and uh, descriptive scores, and then you can kind of go from there. So as far as, uh, you know, the data science is concerned, certainly the models that we talk about as being predictive are forward predictive, i.e. they're making predictions about an event that will happen in the future at a certain probability. So when you look at things like, for instance, the Frisk score or the PACE score, that's a little bit clear because we give you the breakdowns of the actual probabilities of bankruptcies that will occur within the next 12 months, right? So, you know, let's call it a Frisk, uh, frisk 1 we know, you know, based on our logistical probability output that over the subsequent 12-month period, that particular business has a between 10 and 50% chance of going bankrupt, roughly 10 to 50 times the average company's bankruptcy risk. So that would be an example of a forward predictive or predictive score. Same with the PACE, same with the Altman Z. Same with something like, for instance, the Experian FSR score. Uh, in contrast, you've got descriptive scores, which uh, are really more like descriptive, descriptive statistics. So, you know, many of you guys are probably having flashbacks to your stats class, but, you know, descriptive statistics would be things like, for instance, the average, the mean, the mode. So you're looking at historical data and making summaries of uh, particular performances or particular, you know, quantities within that data. Um, great example of this would be, you know, on our side, like the payment behavior score for supply chain or the days beyond terms index uh, on supply chain. I'm, I'm sorry, on credit risk monitor. Or another one that you know many people are familiar with would be the DMB Paydex score. And these are really looking at you know a dollar weighted average of payment performance 
over a period of time by a business. So, you know, we we rank our DBT index again, one through 10, you know, 10 being the most prompt payments over the uh, last six months, all the way down to a payment behavior score, a DBT index of let's say one, in which case, you know, you're talking about extreme delinquency on payments. So in general, the distinction I want to make here is when you're talking about descriptives, like for instance, the payment behavior score or the days beyond turn score, or the paydex score, these are really good at making predictions into the future. If you assume that the future looks very similar or identical to the past, because it's an inference that's based upon historical performance. And therefore, if you're going to make you know, a prediction using historical performance, you have to assume that the future performance is going to be very similar to the, the historical performance in order for that to be valid. So in situations where that's not the case, for instance, like right now, where you've seen massive movements in you know, markets as well as risk levels over the last you know, six, six months, even you just look at the S&P you know, 500 getting into bear situation, right? Obviously, volatility is you know, trending up in today's environment. That sort of a condition sets the stage for a lot of misappropriation of descriptive statistics and descriptive scoring models like Paydex, like the DBT index. So if you're using payment-based you know, behaviors to make inferences about the reliability or riskiness of counterparties and using information that's you know referencing data from six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, hell, even 10 years ago, you know, we have plenty of clients that have long-term relationships with suppliers and customers that way who haven't experienced any issues over that period of time. That's all well and good and certainly something that you should take into consideration when you're doing business with counterparties. But to the same extent, it does set you up for a potential rude awakening, very similar to what happened during the Great Recession, where people who have been, been paying very promptly for a long time all of a sudden start becoming delinquent. So I'll stop there. Jerry, you got any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I do have a couple. Maybe it's not specifically on the broadness of it, but I do want to say something about when you have universal scores that everybody can look at and make a determination. Example would be this payment score, which is an indication of how quickly or how unquickly somebody's paying their bills. If there's a score that everybody's following, you have to expect that companies that are trying to influence behavior are going to do those things to influence the score. In other words, if in fact I as a CFO of a public company know that everybody in the world is using a paydex score, which is a payment score, days beyond terms kind of score, I'm going to modify my payments so that I can disguise whatever difficulties I'm having at my company so that I can continue to get my suppliers to send me goods on credit. Because if they send me goods on credit, I get the use of these goods without paying interest or having to pay them back with 30, 60, 90 days. And therefore, it behooves me to how do I influence that score so people keep lending or giving me uh, access to capital with no interest cost. So I want everybody to be aware that's some of the downside. And that's why we at Credit Risk Monitor have DBT terms. But we do understand that when you're dealing with public companies, using a date, a, a paydex or a DBT indicator for predicting uh, whether that company will continue to pay quickly or stay in business, I, I think is a fool 
rules game. And I am really basically saying to people, God, if we've got financials and we have crowdsourcing, so we know exactly what people are doing and we have all the things that we put into the first score, of course, we're going to have better scores. Of course, we're going to be 96% predictive. And therefore, not using our first score in light of trying to use a paydex score, I have to tell you, it's a shocking thing to me to see that argument placed into the marketplace. I'm going to uh, use a score which I know is has limited validity. I just want to have a check mark next to that. I looked at a score. You know, that kind of behavior may have worked in the last five or 10 years. Going forward, that's not a good game. It is going to be a very costly game. So there is a difference. And we, we have the score because if you don't have access to the data that we can pull together and predict 96% predictiveness on bankruptcy on public companies, if we don't have those financials, then you have to go to the second best. It is the second best. It will never be the first best. And so therefore, you then at that point may go to days beyond terms. We have a score where we have the home, the pace score which is even better because he uses more data just on payment history because we collect a lot of trade payment data. But, but right. I guess the point I would make on that is less so that, you know, use the pay score versus BBT score. The difference in architecture between those scores is, is very dramatic when you're talking about the difference between a descriptive analytic and a predictive analytic. The pay score may leverage the same payment information as well as federal tax liens, but the way that score works is it's a deep neural network that's trying to make a prediction in the future. It's not just taking a summary of information and essentially taking a dollar-weighted average of it. What you're really starting with is a base case statement for a pay score. So the current scenario of payments looks like this. Relative to the historical performance of what has happened uh, with businesses over the, over the past you know, 10 years where we were doing the study, when we see these sorts of trends and combinatorics going on, they are indicative of a bankruptcy event in the future. But that's basically trained on an actual bankruptcy output vector, looking at things like that payment performance and trends related to that payment performance and tying those particular signals to a future event versus just stating the fact that if you take all of the existing you know, experiences and average them basically on their dollar value, you can find out what the average days beyond terms is and using that as a proxy. You know, those two things are not the same thing. One of them is just, again, a description of how someone has been paying over time. The other is an actual prediction with a probability of an event occurring. Very distinctly different analytical styles. Yeah, good point, Mike. I'm glad you're raising it. Again, I uh, look, we uh, this is what we do for a living at Credit Risk Monitor. We, uh, we're a public company. We uh, probably spend three or four, five million dollars a year on developing and monitoring our scores. And uh, so, you know, we have a huge commitment to it and we track it and we optimize it and we're on top of it. We have a full time staff. We have just short of 100 people in the company dealing with risk at public and private corporations. And so what we're saying is this is an age where the specialization is going to be very, very important because we're now going into a five to 10 year period where risk is going to reassert itself as one of the factors that you have to deal with when you're dealing with 
suppliers and customers. Risk is just going to return to a normal or above, slightly above normal historical perspective coming from the previous 20 years or 15 years where risk was considered a non-interesting or important factor in my selection of suppliers or who I sell to and what terms. Those days are just about over. So uh, I just want to get everybody uh, moving and looking in the right direction. The last 10 years will be nowhere near like the next 10. Nowhere near. One other thing I kind of want to, I guess, spend a little bit of time dissecting for the audience is some of the differentials between various different scores as well, even within the predictives. Because I think that there's you know, strengths and weaknesses, depending on which models you're talking about. So one of the ones that I'll use to compare and contrast would be, for instance, the Frisk score for public companies versus, for instance, the Altman Z double prime score, right? Both are, you know, or at least the, the, the Z double prime score is a public available score, you know, from Ed Altman, professor over at NYU Stern. You know, Ed, Eddie developed the, uh, the original Z score back in the 60s. I think the double prime version came out in the 90s. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is that that's a financial ratio only score in comparison to something like the Frisk, which is also going to take into account, you know, a Merton model market factor score, agency ratings, as well as our proprietary crowdsourcing component. And what's important in that distinction is, I think, the actual timeliness of the scoring and the update frequency, right? So as Jerry alluded to, you know, the Frisk score, we rerun that every night and we have components that allow us to actually make deltas in that score day over day, whether it be the Merton model or the crowdsource you know, component, the market market component or the, uh, the usage click score. And so those two things actually update on a daily basis relative to, for instance, the financials or the agency ratings, which are not updating on a daily. The Z score or the Z double prime score is using strictly financial information. So, you know, if you're dealing with an SEC filer, you know, that's great. You're getting four cuts at that uh, that company a, a year, right? And they're going to file four quarterly statements but, uh, and, the, and the K, their summary. Uh, in comparison, you know, if you're in other locales internationally, you may get, you know, semi-annual filings, so two per year, or maybe even just once a year if you're dealing with private companies, for instance, in the Euro registries or in parts of Asia. So in those sorts of circumstances, you're not getting a daily updated score. You're getting a quarterly updated, a, you know, have updated or even maybe just an annually updated analytic. Still forward predictive because it's making a prediction about the bankruptcy risk going forward over time. In the case of the Z-score bankruptcy within the, the subsequent two years, I believe, is the actual description. But I think it's important when you're trying to factor these two scores off one another because there's a very big difference in the sensitivity of the signal that you're getting in terms of updating. So you can see a Frisk score update daily. You can see it a trend over time. You can see monthly movements. You start to see those negative trends, you know, Frisk score going down. Um, you're going to see that sort of activity, you know, in the moment, real time as it's happening. In comparison for something like the Z double prime score, you're only going to get that new score at the point where a filing is made. At least if you look at the U.S. markets, for instance, you know, if you're closing for, you know, let's say the upcoming Q2 close as of the end of June, right, most of those actual scores are not going to get posted to the SDC and run for at least 30 days or more. 
beyond the close of the quarter. So when you talk about this, you're going to have a latency effect in the sense of you're making decisions between the end of June and the end of July that are going to be basically looking at data that's dated all the way back to the end of March. So there's a gap there when you're making that sort of a decision that doesn't exist within the Frisk model because of those daily updating components. So when you're trying to evaluate all these different scores, I think there's, you know, there's a variety of things you need to look at. Number one, it's the timeliness of updating. Number two is obviously the accuracy of the analytic. Number three is whether or not it's forward predictive or descriptive. Those would be kind of the three main components or main factors or I guess characteristics of a scoring model that I personally would want to understand to a very detailed degree before deciding to necessarily make use of an analytic. And I think it's really great if you've got obviously back testing information that can prove out those things to say, yes, this has worked during times of stress, for instance, like in the Great Recession or during uh, you know the COVID stress between March and September of 2020. So those are just kind of my, my go-bys when I'm evaluating other scoring models um, relative to ours. But um, something I think everybody within the risk, uh, risk analysis space could probably spend a little bit of time brushing up on because it does make a big difference. And some of these things are very complex to understand. So I'm not necessarily coming at this to say, listen, you're a credit manager or procurement manager for risk. You need to understand deep dive, you know, the background under the hood of an analytic. But you should be able to understand the frequency of updating on that particular signal, as well as whether or not it's forward predictive uh, or descriptive. And if it is forward predictive, you should at least understand something along the accuracy lines attached to it via a true backtest study uh, that makes, you know, that makes it very clear that there's not look back bias or something like that, where, you know, you're making use of information that didn't exist at the time of the score. One of the big things that's you know, stressed a lot within the data science community. No, well said, Michael. I uh, I also, I have a, since the people are listening to this for the first time, they won't have to put up with the redundancy of how I say the same thing multiple times. But look, I feel also we have this crowdsourcing and this crowdsourcing, because we're large now and have so many customers all over the world. If credit managers around the world or risk offices are getting concerned about a company and are starting to cut back the amount of free trade credit, which is huge. It's three times more than bank loans. If they start cutting that back, it's going to be very difficult to that company that's getting it when it gets cut back. They're going to have to go into the marketplace. They're going to have to find alternative use of people who will lend them money or be at interest rates when they get trade credit. There's no interest cost. So it's a very, very important thing that we run every night. And here's the other part of it that's really critical. What's critical about it is we're not going out we don't have psychiatrists on our staff who are going out and having conversations with risk officers and trying to assess what do they mean? What's their real point here? What we're looking at is 15 to 20 years of data where we see where these risk officers are clicking on our site. And when you get enough data, they start to tell you in advance which companies they're getting concerned with and which ones stand the most amount of risk of having this huge amount of trade free credit cut back. It is absolutely predictive and it's absolutely timely to walk away and not take that input on the risk of a supplier or a customer 
I, you know, I don't know. I'm an old guy. I'm going to be 82 on my next birthday. Uh, this is something I just can't imagine anybody seriously considering as a good policy. Uh, it's just crazy. This is critically important data, and we make it available for free. Uh, you're going to be able to, at the end of every night, have the uh, almost the equivalency of talking to a whole bunch of people on the phone who are dealing with company X, and they're basically telling you how they're voting on this company. And they impact. Whether they're right or wrong, they're going to impact. You can't walk away from that. And as I said, if we didn't have 15 or 20 years worth of data on this, uh, you know, who cares? But we do. We do. We're making it available as part of the service. You should use it. It's something important. Well said, Jerry. All right. Well, I think we, uh, we certainly have given some insight into uh, the differentiations and scoring models for sure. And I think your, you know, your statements on the crowdsourcing uh, component, definitely important. Anybody that does not understand it, please reach out to us. You know, it's one of the favorite topics for the, uh, the company. And we've got white white paper. Yeah, we have a white paper on it too. If you need, and, and even DMB has written a white paper on it. Like, my God, this is not hidden. This is not a hidden point of view. You gotta, you, you guys can't walk on this. Well, um, with that, if you guys have any questions about any of the content that we covered today on different styles of scoring model, the differences between predictive and descriptive risk analytics, as well as just generally how to apply some of the methodologies uh, that we're talking about, please don't hesitate to reach out. Again, our email address for questions, suggestions for future topics or anything else in between would be podcast at creditriskmonitor.com. On behalf of myself and Jerry, thank you for listening and subscribing to Credit Risk Monitor podcast. Thanks. So long, everybody. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Credit Risk Monitor podcast. Want to ask Mike and Jerry a question? Email podcast at creditriskmonitor.com. And for more information on how Credit Risk Monitor can protect your portfolio from financial risk, check out creditriskmonitor.com.